All right, welcome to Stacking Mondays. My name is Mirko. I'm the CEO at Second Watts. It's my pleasure to interview today Mikael Bondum, co-founder of Myrmidon Staking. Um, Mikael has five years of professional experience with crypto, of which three years were specifically focused on staking at Bitcoin Swiss. And furthermore, he's been a, a business angel for tech startups since January this year. Um, in July 2022, just a few months ago, he founded the staking provider Myrmidon Staking. Um, where he acts as a strategic advisor. So it's, it's very great to have you on the show, Michael. Um, pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Mirko, for the warm introduction. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and lovely to, to see all the, the work that Staking Rewards has done for, for the staking community. Awesome. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's really good to have you on the show. Uh, we already know each other for a while. Um, so really looking forward to this episode and uh, dive a little bit into like your staking experience. Um, you are like, yeah, how you got into everything and um, how do you see the world of staking and the world of proof of stake and all the different protocols and um, provider strategies and everything today. So um, maybe if you like, we, we could get started, like maybe a little bit in the intro to yourself, like how you got into crypto and um, also like, how did you get into staking? Like what was the first token you staked and how, how was that experience like for you? And when did you get started? Yeah, well, um, how did I first come into crypto? I mean, it was uh, back in 2012, um, I think maybe 13. I think it was 12, but, but it, it crypto back then was not crypto. It was just Bitcoin. So it was... It was how you got into Bitcoin or heard about Bitcoin. And um, and I think I heard about it in some uh, technological forums uh, that I followed and also in some political forums that I followed, people discussing free money and very idealistically how a new world could be and, and stuff like this, really, really uh, in the deepest of the web, you could say. Um, and I think like, like many others that have come along the crypto journey or should we ended up in the crypto rabbit hole? Uh, uh, you end up, you, you start with just hearing about it. And then at some point, the Bitcoin price rushes up and then you'll be like, ah, I should have bought some Bitcoin. And then you, 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 you forget about it. And then suddenly it pops back in. And at some point uh, after the first, second, third, fourth inter interaction you've had with the community, then you, you sit up and, and you, dive into the whole uh, the whole industry and the whole technology and 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 that that's the rabbit hole and and when you're when you're in the crypto rabbit hole you you can't get out <laughs> and and now I'm here uh, eight nine ten years later and um and and kind of realized that that um yeah this is gonna be a, a part of my life uh, for the rest of my life because how can I avoid it right so uh, right. so yeah, that's yeah. how I got in. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's very hard to get out of that rabbit hole ever in your life again. Um, but it's also great. I mean, there's so much new things happening every time. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, so you, you started like um, working with Bitcoin Swiss like five years ago or something. And this is also like, so you, so you were already into crypto for a while. And then somehow you, you get to start like um, one of the yeah, um, biggest staking operations um, in the world, basically at Bitcoin Swiss. How how did that work? Like, how did you get into Bitcoin Swiss, and how did you get into like building out like the staking operation for them and building up the team there? And uh, I think staking was still very early as well when you when you joined there and started this initiative. So, um, how how did that get started? 
and how yeah, was the experience well, like that's for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think uh, I know Niklas Nikolaisen, the, the, the founder of Bitcoin Swiss uh, privately and knew him actually before he started Bitcoin Swiss. So, so he's been one of uh, the biggest influence on me in, with regards to crypto. Um, and he obviously started Bitcoin Swiss down in Switzerland and I'm based in, in Copenhagen, Denmark. So it took me a little time to, to actually get on board uh, uh, on the company. Um, but I mean, I started in Bitcoin Swiss in 2019. Um, before then, I, I did some consultancy for Coinify, a, a large Danish crypto operator as well. Um, and I did some startup projects as well in, in 2018, uh, which was a really hard year to, to be in the crypto market too. Um, and then in 18 and late 18, it started to, you know, we started to see some traction on, on various things. And it, it, it's also the way I got into staking that at that time in, in 18, Basically, there were only one real staking protocol, uh, the Tessas protocol, which has just launched at that time. And before Tessas, and that was the first token I interacted with when it came to staking, that was Dash. And Dash is not really a proof of stake network. It's more of a proof of work network, but it has the masternode system, which uh, resembles staking um, and the masternodes. So the, the staking or the, the proof of stake part in, in Dash um, centers around governance and how to allocate the, the marketing uh, expenditures. So my first real interaction with the technology behind staking was Dash uh, in 17, and that led to, to Tessas in 18. And um, I founded a crypto consultancy firm that helped various companies build, build uh, um, staking services. Um, and then at some point, uh, Bitcoin Swiss had a huge office in Denmark as well. Bitcoin Swiss at the same time grew uh, exponentially. And um, me and, and the other uh, few people we were in our consultancy startup was simply uh, scooped up as a team by Bitcoin Swiss and, and, and worked from within the Danish office um, with a lot of travels to, to the Swiss office. Um, and and then, then that's, that's how I, I started out doing staking and... I think when we came to Bitcoin Swiss, um, Bitcoin Swiss was obviously a, a huge player in facilitating the whole Tessos fundraising and the whole early days of Tessos. So at the time we arrived, there was a handful of uh, ICO participants from the early days that was that still had their Tessies with Bitcoin Swiss and obviously did a little bit of uh, uh, baking, as it is called. Uh, in Tessos. Um, and we simply sat down and it was quite simple and had a strategic meeting around what's what's going on in crypto these days, what are Bitcoin Swiss good at, uh, what can, uh, where are Bitcoin Swiss a little bit behind because at the time everything is, is going so fast so quickly so you always leave a little bit behind on, on, on some areas and um, yeah I think we just found out that staking is going to be huge. Um, we were already on top of Tessos and Dash at the point. Um, at the same time, uh, Ethereum said that they would launch Ethereum 2 uh, shortly after. Um, so I think packaging, packaging that those things into a product line, a business line called staking, we thought that would be a good idea. And we thought if, if we build it, 
then clients won't leave us, and that's good. Um, I think what we didn't realize that if we build it as good as we did, then every 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 other place where where they didn't do that, then clients left them and came to us. And I think that was that was a, a huge positive surprise um, that we actually had. Uh, the products on the shelves when when the markets really started to 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 take off in in late 2020 and 2021. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I think you you've definitely been a pioneer on that side, um, being very early on the second side and offering these services, especially for Ethereum as well, very early. Um, and like you mentioned, Tezos and the others too. Like, what what was the big, biggest challenge for you to like to set this up in the Bitcoin Swiss umbrella kind of? Yeah. Uh, I, that's a really good question um, because you're, you're basically hitting the two most important po points. That is being early and it, it and the huge and the challenge of being early. Uh, it, it's it's one it's two sides of the same thing. I think what we realized quite at the very beginning, and that was the whole strategic scope of this operation and this business, was that people will. To stake their currencies, it's not something. It's you just. It's like it's like when you open a bank account. You you if you open a bank account somewhere and you have a good experience with it, then you don't want to change. If everything is good, you don't want to change. It's not. You don't have a, a super strong opinion about it. You just want to have it, and it, it has to be good and not cause you friction. So those who get the first clients, it will be really hard for others to attract those clients because then people have to move their crypto around all the time and they don't want to do that. They want to have a good, secure, reliable staking service that, that where they can get the, the rewards uh, when staking their tokens. Um, and I think we realized that quite early and therefore our key differentiating, uh, how could you, the key differentiator of Bitcoin Swiss staking was We want to be the first professional custodial staking services on a service on all the major uh, cryptocurrencies, and therefore, the first professional staking service uh, for Polkadot was Bitcoin Swiss. The first one for Kusama was Bitcoin Swiss, and the first one one for Ethereum 2 was Bitcoin Swiss. And at the at the time of the launch of the Beacon Chain for Ethereum 2, Bitcoin Swiss accounted for one fifth of the entire network. Uh, that has since dropped a lot because Kark and Coinbase, Binance have have, have um, created some great custodial staking services for, for, for Ethereum. But I think the key was that for all the early movers and for all those who knew what was coming um, and wanted to be to stake from the beginning in a professional custodial secure and regulated environment, Bitcoin Swiss was the only option on, on a world on the world on a world level, like on global global scale, and we really uh, profited from that a lot by attracting a great great amount of AUM and a lot of new clients who simply, I would say, the, just the fact that we had the service available, what was differentiated us from from all the other competitors, which it seems it seems so easy, but it was so hard. And that's the second part of your question. It was so hard because how do you build how do you build something that nobody has built before? Um, if you want to build if you want to build a, a WordPress website, you have I don't know a gazillion websites online, and 
and thousands of thousands of people who've experienced the same problems with you. They've shared them in channels. It's so easy to find somebody who has done almost the same thing that you want to do. And then instead of having to go through the same learning curve, you can simply read whatever issues they had and, and then don't repeat them. Um, but we didn't have that uh, opportunity. So we basically sat with a blank piece of paper and like, um, and when I say blank piece of paper, that's not true because you have one source, you have the source code, you have the core community, the core foundation of the various blockchains, and they do publish what they intend to do. There are uh, EIP, uh, you know, number X, Y, Z. Um, there are uh, community calls. There, there's a lot of resources available on the networks on a very theoretical developer heavy level but uh, that was that was so simply reading that material and and be like okay if this material is 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 true and bitcoin swiss is this kind of firm and with this kind of staking strategy then we need to build the product this way and and i think that was really hard because there was nowhere to go nowhere to look at nobody to ask nobody to ask questions um but I also think that was fun and challenging. And, and um, I think it's a great testament to, I think it's only after the fact that I realize how big of an achievement it, it is. Uh, when, when you do it, you don't think of it as that big, but sitting here uh, one, one and a half year later and thinking back, I realized, wow, this was, was quite big uh, what we did because yeah, nobody else could do that. Yeah, definitely a great achievement. Um, so kudos, kudos to you building out like one of the, the yeah biggest staking operations in a, a custodian, yeah, or like a custodian crypto broker, basically. Um, at the same time, you also just recently launched like uh, Myrmidon Staking, which is a non-custodial staking. Like, how do you see the, um, well, what is your take on custodial versus non-custodial staking? Like, um, what is the, what is the edge for like, building up a custodial staking provider versus building up like a non-custodial provider? And what are the, the different challenges there um, that you see? Yeah, um, that's, that's, um, that's a tricky one. I mean, staking is kind of an, an, an extended arm of custody. It's not really custody, but um, it shares a lot of the same uh, attributes as custody. And um if you just look at the two largest custodial versus non-custodial uh, wallets, you can say Coinbase and and uh, Coinbase not Coinbase the service and and MetaMask the wallet, and um, and I think the same applies for staking, that you can build great businesses both as a custodial service as a non-custodial. It's it's basically two different things. It's it's the whole mantra of crypto. I mean, the whole idea of crypto is not your keys, not your coins. Um, but but you can also flip that to the positive side saying, well, it shouldn't be my keys, so I don't do anything bad with it. Therefore, I go to a custodial service. Um, but to have the choice as a crypto user and consumer, I think it's really good. Um, I think that consumers and, and users should have the opportunity to to stake both at custodial services and non-custodial services. 
I think that custodial, large custodial services should be aware that if they attract too much, too many clients, they might be a, a um, too centralized or, or getting attacked that they're too centralized, or at least they have to think about that. But it also provides uh, a lot of benefits for many crypto users. Um, the same way that that non-custodial uh, or custodial wallets have provided many benefits to users who, let's let's say, uh, are only twenty percent down the rabbit hole that 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 others have have gone further in, and 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 others who are more comfortable holding their own keys can do. Um, and I think the, the same applies for staking here. Yeah, it's very interesting that you say it's like an extended arm of the custody. And I'm also thinking about basically it's not like non-custodial, it's more like self-custodial. So there, there's always custody. Either you hold it yourself or you give it to someone else. And same for the staking. Like either you mistake yourself or you give it to someone else. Um, yes, so that, yeah, that's, that's really right. That's a better way to phrase it. But definitely a better way to phrase it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... The, the thing with custodial staking providers is often like they they are being accused of like being very intransparent and like really not being super open with their users on like how they de derive the reward and how much of them they actually share. It's like it's it's not on chain everything, so um, it seems like a little bit shady sometimes on custodial services and like there are also like kind of other staking programs that like package staking as something that's not really proof of stake and can be confusing to users and so on. Um, it is like, um, and, and there's an interesting dynamic that you also mentioned earlier already, which is like um, custodial providers uh, do not really rely on um, the staking revenue for the business because they, they get revenue from trading and everything else. Um, whereas non-custodial providers, they, they do rely on the revenue that they make from stakers and this is interesting in terms of the um, fee dynamics um, where custodial providers have much, much more flexibility, but non-custodial providers are kind of um, reliant on the revenue that they make over fees. Um, how do you see that like non-custodial providers can differentiate on that side, um, being not so flexible on their staking offerings kind of? Um, yeah, I think... Mm, sometimes it's a little bit. I think it's a really, it's a really good point, and I definitely understand why many people will will, will think that. I actually thought that myself uh, for a long time. I actually thought that for so long time that I I didn't do a custodial staking service back in eighteen, but decided to join Bitcoin Swiss and do a custodial one. Um, but I've changed my course a little bit here. Um, I think that when when the large custodial providers like Binance and Kraken do a, a fee-less or a, a very low fee staking service, um, they suffer just as much on it as non-custodial staking services who do the same. I mean, then they don't, they, they, they just have a staking product that doesn't make revenue. Um, and of course they do it because then it keeps AUM within the house and people use that AUM uh, to trade and lend and other things that they really make money from. But you don't have to. You could withdraw your Ethan Kraken uh, and then you can withdraw them to your wallet and go and trade on Uniswap. Nobody forces you to trade on Kraken, but Kraken knows that their users do. And why do the users then trade on Kraken? Well, they do it because it's easy and simple and uh, not a hassle and not a barrier, not a technological barrier. 
And I think the same applies for the non-custodial uh, services, especially also for staking. So I think MetaMask really proved that you can make a free wallet, a free good wallet that everybody uses. And then at some point you offer uh, an in-app uh, exchange service and then you can make millions of it because it's easy and you're already using the application already. Um, and I think non-custodial staking services could do the same thing. I mean, if you if you are a, a non-custodial or self-custodial staking services, letting letting people who have their own crypto with their own keys choose to stake at your at your service, well, they interact with your application, they interact with your technology, um, they open up your app, and that's a user. And if if they then you can offer them other things in that app, and you can say, hey, if you stake here, we can make it easy for you to do X, Y, Z, or build up partnerships. So. The same thing that makes the big centralized providers uh, go low or zero on fees is the same reason that wallets couldn't take fees to do wallets. And it's the same reason that non-custodial service providers could do that thing as well to, to attract more AUM and then have to offer them other services to, to how to make money. Um, I don't think that it distinguishes just so much to be a custodial versus non-custodial, but I mean, it took me four years to realize that. Um, and I think it's just a little bit harder, obviously, because the user group that has their own keys with their own coins and their own wallet, they're more more um, accustomed to swap around different applications um, and doesn't have as much stickiness as the centralized ones. Right, yeah. But so you're basically saying like the AUM that's with the non-custodial, 0% validator is uh, worse, same as like with a custodial one. Um, just the non-custodial ones have to be a bit more creative and like other ways to like, yeah, somehow, um, yeah, um, kind of uh, receive some kind of value out of the, the big AUM that they have, yeah. Yeah, I think so too, I think so, really. Very, very interesting, yeah. So, um, and then like, how, how did it happen that you started your, your own staking service provider as well? Now like a, a non-custodial one, Myrmidon staking, um, that's just like recently, like what was your motivation behind that? And how did you, how did you get started there? Uh, well, I realized that um, after I left Bitcoin Swiss, probably in the end of my time there, I realized um, actually quite few people uh, on a world scale that work with this compared to how much money is flowing into staking. Our, it, it takes quite a large companies. And I mean, that's also why we know each other. I mean, we know each other because um, Bitcoin Swiss uh, had to find a good place to get staking, reliable uh, quality staking data. And uh, boom, there was staking rewards and there, there was you. <laughs> and, and I think that so that that knowledge and that experience that that I have now, um, it's sad if that does not get utilized uh, into helping other uh, others and building new staking services. Work with staking. Uh, I mean, I think everybody in crypto with a couple of years of professional experience bear a little bit of responsibility of educating newer people coming into crypto. Uh, the, that whole part is, is kind of responsible. You can't just sit back and say, oh, I've done the staking. Uh, now I'm off sitting, uh, I don't know, on some beach somewhere and, and, and drinking cocktails. No, you, you bear a little bit of responsibility to 
teach others what you've learned yourself because there's still so few of us on a global level uh, that know and understand and have worked with crypto. And so many people want to get into crypto and want to learn and want to have a job within crypto. And I think I, I, feel, I feel a duty of, uh, of having to help. So I was quite determined that at some, at one way or the other, I wanted to keep working with staking just in, in a different and, and maybe a little bit more less pressured way than, than I've done through Bitcoin Swiss. Um, so yeah, I think that was my motivation. That's amazing. Yeah, sounds really good. And um, like, so so far you're validating on on one blockchain, Concordium Network. Mm -hmm. um, and do you also have plans to like expand the validator set, or like, what's the what, what are the plans with the provider in general over the next few months or years? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, first to start with Concordium. Concordium is a uh, is a new layer one blockchain uh, that has a different angle than many other blockchains um, with an ID centric solution, uh, regulatory compliant, um, and um, it's it's founded uh, by some some Danes, some researchers, some cryptographical researchers, and um, and funded by a, a ex banker in Denmark uh, called Lars Seyer. And um, and his his uh, willingness to 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 in, to to found, to found this blockchain has um, created many uh, many places to work in crypto here in Denmark. Um, and I think it's it's really good to to have us support this by by offering a, a staking service uh, for Concordium. Um, we also, uh, I mean, the CEO of Myrmidon, uh, Nikolai, has a, a great network within within Concordium. So that uh, that's also a big plus. And I think our plan is is to continue that road, uh, understood that way that uh, our we will not choose one blockchain over another. And there will be some of the large blockchains uh, that Myrmidon will offer as, as staking tokens because it's like you go to the supermarket if you don't offer milk and egg and, and flour, then, then people will think you have a weird supermarket. They, they, they won't come back. Um, so we will have to offer the large crypto blockchains, uh, proof of stake blockchains uh, for staking so that clients that stake with, with Myrmidon can stake all of their assets with us. Um, but we will definitely also try to see what new staking protocols become available that need third-party staking services that want to work with us, that want to uh, do partnerships with us. Um, and this way we can also differentiate us from, yeah, all the other staking services that are out there in the market who are, who are, who are offering a, a service in this world. So it will be dual-sided, um, but, but uh, I can already tell you that Ethereum um, is, will be the second blockchain for, for Myrmidon staking, uh, that's a guarantee. That's awesome and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so really looking forward to the next steps there um, for you guys. Um, you already mentioned like, yeah, Ethereum and like there are other like proof of stake networks as well. Um, what I'm interested in is like, um, and you probably have a good perspective there. It's like now that the Ethereum merge happened, um, like how, how do you see, um, what, is, what is your opinion on everything that's happening in a, in a post-merged world now and like the new staking economics that are introduced by Ethereum and what can other protocols learn from, from that as well, from, from Ethereum in general? Mm, yeah, I mean, hmm. 
a lot of the other protocols were founded i wouldn't say i would say almost as on being ethereum killers i mean that was a huge i think that was the most uh, debated uh, phrase uh, for 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 a few years back in 18 and 19 because ethereum was so slow in moving forward with that with their staking protocol so other other blockchains launched a staking service uh, sorry a, a proof of stake blockchain to become the the ethereum killer and and the true ethereum killer is uh, is ethereum 2 themselves right it's um what has killed ethereum that has been ethereum 2 and that's that's for me the the biggest conclusion on the merge um ethereum has from the start been a a thought leader within staking proof of stake all many not all sorry but many of the other layer 1 blockchains are are created on the ideas that ethereum put forward um on the same concepts and when ethereum does something then the others adapt um that has changed a little bit and we do see other blockchains doing specific attributes in their protocol that then other blockchains adapt which are not ethereum founded so to speak um but in general as a technological design as a technological and microeconomic design uh, the Ethereum staking protocol is 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 um, is is a truly exceptional and and um, and definitely uh, leading. And I will I would expect others to adapt uh, many of the attributes that that Ethereum uh, has currently under the staking protocol. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think um, def definitely answers the question. Yeah. Um, if we look further, so like um, another, um, like Ethereum has a, uh, on the roadmap, like a, a roll-up centric roadmap. So Ethereum plans to scale on like a layer tools basically and Ethereum being like the, the settlement layer. Um, how do you see that in comparison with, for example, Cosmos, which has more like mm -hmm. a, um, a roadmap towards like an application specific blockchains or like a network of blockchains um, and yeah, what, what do you think has a higher likelihood of like becoming the number one in the world, basically? Yeah, it's funny uh, you mentioned Cosmos because um, uh, in October 19, um, so three years ago, uh, I was at uh, DEFCON in Japan, in Osaka, and I watched a panel debate with uh, Vitalik um, uh, and uh, the lead for Cosmos, Sorry, what is it? what's the name? I forgot the name uh, for the guy who, who leads the Cosmos Network. Maybe you know? Um, yeah, there are a few leads, I think. Maybe it's Zachimanian or... Yeah, okay. I, 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 can, I can find out. But, but uh, basically, the, the thought leader of Cosmos was there as well on the panel. Um, and they had a really good talk about, about this exact thing. Um, and um, so, so I'm basically just paraphrasing now what, what I learned that, that day. Um, but they're building two different things, and um, and there's and there is definitely place in the market for both. Uh, I don't believe in the one blockchain to rule them all. Um, so Ethereum roll-up centric blockchain with its sharding, it's a way to scale Ethereum as an ecosystem. Um, where 
clients and users and companies shouldn't think about which shard they're on uh, and how and how they interact with the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, Cosmos is more, as I see it, is more of a standard or the Cosmos hub of the, the uh, you know, IDC, IPC. Um, it's more of a standard, yeah, sorry. It's more of a standard of how to build hubs and how to create interoperability um, and where maybe time and process and speed and, and is not regarded as high, but on the other hand, you can integrate all sorts of blockchains within the, the IBC ecosystem. And both blockchains will live, uh, both ecosystems are well thought and the architecture is well designed. Um, and now you asked about the Myrmidon strategy, we are, we are actually pretty close on, on making Cosmos the, the third staking service we will offer. At least it's one of the, uh, the most uh, well, well known and recognized uh, layer one blockchains uh, besides Ethereum when it comes to, to proof of stake and, and, and a blockchain that, I mean, Bitcoin Swiss was already also one of the first one to, to create a staking service for. So I do believe both blockchains will have its place and they will both grow and they will not cannibalize one another. That's not how I see it. Uh, I'm definitely a, a proponent of the multi-chain uh, blockchain world in the future. Yeah, 100%. Um, I would agree there. There are different use cases for different applications and they need different infrastructure to um, to function well, I think. Um, and that's why having different approaches is also great. Yeah. In terms of like, yeah, just being um, differentiated um, and being decentralized as well. Um, not having Jaquan, sorry. Jaquan, Jaquan was in the panel. Ah, Jaquan. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Keep going on. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so when, when we look into the future, like, how do you see proof of stake? Um, like first is like, obviously there are many different implementations of proof of stake, but in general, like it's always proof of stake is, is proof of stake. Um, and what, what influence will, influence will the development of proof of stake have like on the, the bond market, on like the TradFi market and in, in that direction? And like, how do you see like these two worlds kind of merging um, maybe at some point and um, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, hmm, that's a that's a deep topic. <laughs> um, I think that explaining staking as a financial instrument is hard because it doesn't exist today. It, it's not a financial instrument. Uh, staking is a technological job. Um, I think about a proof of stake blockchain as. Um, as a company that offers a job, it's like having an open job ad. Uh, please write us your resume and, and we'll take you in to come and work for us. Um, it doesn't discriminate. Um, you know what, what, what salary you get, uh, but you can't show up late. <laughs> you have to attest and create blocks when, when you're being told to. Um, and if you, if you do show up late, there's a penalty. <laughs> it's like having a fine for showing up late for, for work. Um, but there's also a very clear and transparent uh, salary. So you can always evaluate whether you want to take this blockchain job. And, and you being a machine, like a technological service. So the same way I, you basically see miners uh, here, come perform this technological job for this blockchain, get paid. 
uh, have very clear and very transparent economic incentive. Work whenever you want. You know, you don't have to ask anybody to go to the bathroom. Um, that's how I see staking as a technological service, a technological job that different blockchains offer. And the difference between staking and mining is that in, in staking, we need two parties or we need two, two things uh, because despite our technological skills and info IT uh, hardware, we also need tokens and therefore the staking services make so much sense because then we can go together with those who have the tokens and say, okay, you, we just do the technological IT service that you need and, and you handle all your money with, with your, with your professional custody and your professional setting with your AML and KYC laws and all of that. Um, and you will basically separate these two things. And that's how I, I kind of see staking as a, as a technological service rather than a financial instrument. But, but we can compare it to a financial instrument to better explain what it is for people who do not know and, and, and are from the traditional financial world and have to understand crypto. And when doing that, it resembles um, government bonds. If you, uh, if you have a currency like I'm here in Denmark and, uh, and we have Danish Krona, and if I have a government bond uh, in Krona, I don't really, I haven't really uh, increased my risk of ha with, by having a Danish government bond because the risk is that the, the, the state defaults but if the state defaults and I didn't, didn't have the bond, then my paper would be worthless anyway. So I have already the same risk. And it's the same type of risk you have when you stake. Um, you have also the, the staking service not doing its job properly, the same way you could have slippage in price when it comes to the bond market. But in, in its essence, you have the same risk um, because if you have Ethereum and you stake them, then you're your biggest risk or your, your, your only risk is still that, that, you know, Ethereum dies, right? But if Ethereum dies and you didn't stay, you would be just as, as bad, badly off. Um, and then it also kind of financially up, looks like a bond. You put in a, a principal and then you get dividend or no, then you get interest rate coupon right coupon coupons interest coupons isn't that how you say about bonds then you get interest coupons and then um, in the end of the time period you you can uh, you can take out your principal right and then you have the principal plus the coup plus the coupons at a at a given rate interest rate but you have to be really careful about phrasing it that way because then some regulators will come and say that staking is a bond and it's not it's not a bond so it's not a bond it's not a bond we can't say it often enough it's not it's not a bond it never will be but financially and the way it operates and the way you should view the risk is it's the crypto it's the crypto bonds staking is the the bonds of crypto sorry that that, that there it was and and for crypto investors that come in and consider should i lend out my crypto should i yield farm okay i can also just buy a bond right just as I would do in the traditional world, okay, then you go and stake your tokens. That's the same way of viewing it as an as economic portfolio, uh, I would say. So, yeah.
Right. So it's the the low risk option for everyone who wants to earn yield, basically. It's the um, lowest lowest risk option to earn yield on your given uh, crypto token that you have. Yes. Yeah. Good way of yeah. phrasing it. I like that way too. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. And also interesting that you mentioned the um, yeah seeing it as a job kind of um, because that like it just resembles like a new kind of labor market basically. Like, it is it's a job market. Maybe it is a job market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and you can swap around and you know and, and, and doing a non-custodial staking service is just like having a job portal, right? Here's all the jobs in the different blockchains and you know, come and work wherever you want. All right. Yeah. The yeah, the question is like how, how open does it stay um the whole job market and how profitable is it? Um and like yeah, how can someone differentiate? But yeah, that's that's the whole business of validation. Um that's, that's, I think um, that's one of, also in general, I think that's one of the great things is the more transparent it gets, the more uh, third-party services that we get up to do this, the more secure blockchains will be, the lesser the profit will be for the, for the services because they have to compete, the more opportunity for the users and you can say, okay, then, you know, everybody's happy. Everybody has a job. Maybe they don't have the huge profits, but it's a it's a win 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 all around and in general where we increase transparency we have uh, more fair and, and and better businesses going uh, in general so so i think it will trend towards that direction for sure so what, what do you think in the in the very long term will staking be something that's like very easy for for everyone like you mm -hmm. can run a note yeah. on your smartphone kind of or well, will it be like yeah. tend towards centralization more as that's extremely good question. And, and I think that um, when I mentioned before that other blockchains will end up looking to Ethereum for inspiration on how to change, that's exactly uh, one of the points uh, that they would do because Ethereum has specifically designed their staking protocol not to benefit uh, the scale of operations, right? With every other businesses, as soon as you achieve scale, you can drive prices lower and fees on staking will go lower in the long term. So Ethereum has already foreseen that and creating a specific design um, that makes it uh, that, that you simply can't scale, you, you, you can't you, you don't have fixed costs, you have only variable costs. So running a thousand validators becomes the same as running 10,000 or running one. Uh, I think they kept it around seven or eight validators. So if you run seven or eight, you don't achieve the cost of scale anymore. Um, and I think that other blockchains will, will be inspired and do the same, um, but maybe they will have to face the attacks of centralization from from users and community before they end up doing it. But but it, I think it will go there in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So you also think like the the winning blockchain will be the most decentralized one? Mm, the winning because, for what? Again, I mean, I, I, yeah, sorry. I, I just mean because Ethereum is heading in, in that direction. They really emphasize like home staking and self-staking. They want people to like operate nodes and um, partake in the network. So it is in that sense, like the, the more decentralized um, economy or like the, the more decentralized incentives there. Mm. Um, and with the winning, it's, it's obviously the one that is, that is utilized the most, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I really have to 
to emphasize that I don't believe in a one blockchain to rule them all. I think that the whole ecosystem and the whole industry of crypto will grow. It will grow exponentially in 20 years time. Everybody will use crypto when most of them won't know the same way all of us are using uh, web uh, infrastructure that we are not aware of. Um, and uh, and I think that some will be as decentralized as Ethereum, if, if Ethereum won't be the most decentralized ones. One and, and other blockchains will be less decentralized, but at the same time, um, maybe they can perform other things that Ethereum won't be able to perform. And then you'll have things like Cosmos's IBC to, to have the interoperability between all of them. So I think that this industry will grow so exponentially, uh, so, fa so fast and so much that we won't we are not even, or at least I'm not even able to kind of encapsulate that in my head, that what will that mean in terms of services? But but the space that there is to play now, the playing field now will just grow immensely. Um, and we will see a lot of, of specialized, less decentralized blockchains being able to perform jobs uh, in the ecosystem uh, altogether, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it will be very interesting to see um, which kind of blockchain narrative will be the most valuable in the future. Is it like mm -hmm. um, to be the most decentralized or to be the, the best connected or to be um, like, yeah, like which value proposition does actually have the, the highest value? Um, I think mm -hmm. that's, that, that's going to be very interesting because clearly all the different blockchains have different value propositions. Um, yeah, and, no, that's, yeah. That, I think that's a really good question. And I, I'm, I, I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that's a that's a million dollar question. Yeah, um, exactly. If, if not if more, any, probably a billion dollar question. <laughs> yeah. If anyone has the answer, please drop it in the comments here. Um, very very keen on your thoughts as well. So, um, th this has been a, a great episode. We have uh, one question here from the community yeah. that um, is worth asking, I think, and then. Um, like so from from the vc's point of view is is now a good time to invest in projects and how do you see the current market sentiment uh obviously you you do some tech investments yourself um like how is your current perspective on the market um on the staking on the vc staking market specifically um or like in general in in projects tokens okay it doesn't say that clearly um let's let's just stay with the staking staking centric focus here and um um, I think at least I realized the hard way here in crypto that I don't try to time the market. I don't try to time it in, in the in the bear or the bull. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a, <laughs> a trader. Um, so, so I don't try to time the market and, and neither would I advise to others to do. Um, rather, I think about this as a, um, it's like if you build, if, if you believe in crypto and the space on the long run, it's like at some point, if you if you're out on the water and you know at some point the wind will blow in that direction, well then you can create your boat and put it in the water and be ready. And then when when the wind arrives and pushes you in the direction, you 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 have a boat that can that that doesn't that doesn't uh, go to ground because you built it properly. Um, and I think I would apply the same model if I was a VC investing in staking protocols. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call me a VC, but but I'm I'm yeah I'm together in a in a joint venture with other business angels to to invest in startups. 
and I don't really care about the market uh, because I care. I, I think I have an edge in analyzing and uh, uh, valuating good, good solid projects. Um, and if I can, if I can, if I believe in the project and I believe in 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 the way that it's being built and the vision put forward and the team doing it and the product, uh, then then. I think it's a good thing to jump on, regardless of of, uh, of of what the market conditions are. It's simply looking at the market conditions is too. It's not my ball of of game. Um, um, unfortunately, again, I wish it was. Then then I could earn a lot of money on that probably. But but um, so the question, uh, the answer to the question is is it? It's good to invest if you think the project is good, and it's bad to invest if you think it's bad regardless of, of, of the market sentiment, I would say. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and 100% makes sense. I mean, any any project, um, if it has a, a very unique positioning and a great um, yeah go-to-market, a great, great product, then it will in some way uh, succeed regardless of bear markets or not. Um, so yeah, that's a great point. And um, I think most of the other questions we already addressed uh, in the episode anyway, um, it's been great to have you on the show. Like, how can uh, people follow you, and like, how can people follow Myrmidon or learn more about um, all the different things that you're working on? Yeah, uh, th thank you for asking that. Um, I mean, uh, definitely, uh, you, you're always welcome to add me on LinkedIn. Um, I use LinkedIn a lot. Um, um, the CEO of Myrmidon, uh, Nikolai Rosenthal, uh, is, uh, is also on LinkedIn. So you're always welcome to to hit him a message to to learn more about Myrmidon and, and what we do there. Um, we're also both on Twitter. Um, uh, so so uh, feel free to add us. Feel free to to follow Myrmidon both places. Um, uh, then uh, then I would love to provide uh, provide you updates on on what's going on. So uh, so thanks a lot for asking that, Mirko. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, to everyone watching, please hit the like button, subscribe to the show if you want to see more episodes like this. Um, and check out the previous episodes of Staking Mondays. Um, we have one episode each Monday um, going live with like thought leaders of the staking industry. So um, let us know in the comments if you um, would like to see any other specific guests. And um, for Michael and for the audience, I'm Mirko. Um, as always, happy staking. Thank you and uh, goodbye. It was a pleasure.